Judge Janine Tuttle, the Towers Foundation Sunday Morning Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Puro. Welcome, everyone, to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. I hope you're enjoying your day so far. It is a beautiful day here in New York City, and as always, we are armed and ready to serve justice with all my great listeners here on the Red Apple Audio Network. Welcome to my guest, Dr. Peter McCullough. He is a board-certified physician, board-certified in internal medicine, cardiovascular diseases, clinical lipidology, um, and, uh, he was at Baylor University. The guy's a genius, folks. I mean, I could go on and on about his background. Uh, but the significant thing for you to know is that since the outset of the pandemic, Dr. McCullough has been a leader in the medical response to the COVID-19 disaster. And he's uh, published several papers, including the, uh, pathophysiological basis and rationale for early outpatient treatment of SARS-CoV-2. Uh, infection, the first synthesis of sequenced uh, multidrug treatment of ambulatory patients infected with SARS-CoV-2 in the American Journal uh, of Medicine and subsequently updated. Now, uh, Dr. McCullough, thank you so much for, for joining us on the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Uh, I'm excited that you're on and I'm excited for my guests to hear from you. You, of course, are someone who's been very outspoken, and it was almost a damn the torpedoes with you. You were not inclined to go with the flow. Uh, you based your decisions during COVID on the facts and the medicine. Talk to us about what you've been through as a physician. Well, thanks for having me on the program. Medicine is both an art and a science, and early in, in a medical emergency like this, we really have to rely on senior physician judgment. Uh, my judgment was that the most beneficial thing the medical community could do would be to treat sick patients early to help them avoid hospitalization and death. And as it turns out, masking, social distancing, lockdowns, they didn't work. And people got sick. They needed early treatment. So I was out quickly with protocols for early treatment. We subsequently showed we had very good support for this. By December of 2020, a paper by Gukliakos and colleagues concluded we had clear and convincing evidence that multidrug protocols were working. No single drug was necessary nor sufficient, but if patients received early treatment, they could avoid hospitalization and death. Conversely, of the 1.2 million Americans who died of or with COVID and the 6 million hospitalizations, two-thirds could have been avoided with early treatment. Okay, when you say early treatment, doctor, uh, it, I think that we were pretty on top of it from the beginning. Uh, we didn't know much about it. Was it March of 2020? Although uh, we're going back now, uh, apparently we knew about it in November of 2019. Am I right or wrong about that? Yeah, it, now with the House Select uh, Committee for the Origins of Coronavirus, uh, former CDC Director Redfield and others have testified uh, it came out of the lab in Wuhan uh, sometime in the second half of 2019. But when Event 201 was held, which was a tabletop exercise, that meeting was probably operational. The Chinese knew it was out. That's the reason why George Gao, the head of the CDC, came over and met with Americans, and they were basically planning a response. Well, okay, so let, let's talk about when you say early treatment, though, um, it, all we saw in the spring of 2020 were people getting intubated and dying, intubated and dying, intubated and dying. What were you saying at that time or looking back 
there should have been a, a group of drugs, a, a, a medical therapy other than this intubation? Sure. Intubation was far too late. You know, the initial study showed about 90% of people who went on the ventilator died. Uh, and current right. uh, c- conventional ventilator mortality is about 40%. A paper from Johns Hopkins and JAMA showed that it's still way too high. So we have to treat patients early. And early in 2020, I was advocating for combined drug use. And at that time, uh, we had knowledge on hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, doxycycline, aspirin, uh, oral prednisone, colchicine, and then we used injectable uh, blood thinners. And we used oxygen at home. Uh, and then over time, you know what the biggest breakthrough was the use of nasal virucidal and oral washes and gargles. This was important. We, lose, we learned that a, a dilute iodine spray uh, was very, very effective in reducing the intensity and duration of symptoms. Gargling with scope or Listerine worked great. And so we advised patients to get on these early programs to help them avoid hospitalization. And well, then are you saying, doctor, yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Once patients got in the hospital, the protocols uh, did not advance over time. So there wasn't any significant improvement. Okay. So it, it, did the intubation add to their, uh, the, it, it was to their detriment ultimately? Was that malpractice? Well, it did in some patients because there's what's called barotrauma, collapsed lungs. And now a paper out of Northwestern shows that when once they were on the ventilator, then there was a secondary bacterial infection that set right. in because the, the lungs can't clear the bacteria. So intubation could be avoided. We used oxygen at home, and we allowed the oxygen saturations to be lower as long as people could uh, think well and the work of breathing was acceptable. And so what we found all over the world is that the hospital should be avoided in most cases. Amazing. All right. Now, doctor, you mentioned uh, hydroxychloroquine. Now, I remember if you mentioned that in early 2020 or throughout 2020, you were considered a person spreading disinformation. Doctors were being called before medical boards. Uh, they were looking to take their licenses away. Uh, what is your take as a physician on what you saw happen in this medical emergency vis-a-vis your prescribing hydroxychloroquine? Yeah. All forms of effective treatment were intentionally undermined by governments all over the world. This is very important, all of them, including the nasal sprays. Believe it or not, the Federal Trade Commission and the FDA in the United States, they tangled up every company making nasal sprays, trying not to get them out to Americans. And it went from there, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, even Paxlovid and Molnupiravir were undermined. The monoclonal antibodies were always safe and effective. They were undermined, and it was difficult to get them. Uh, they kept taking them off the market. Budesonide, uh, colchicine, they were all undermined. And, all right. and to this day, our, our federal government does not espouse early multidrug treatment. Okay. That, so, doctor, were you... I mean, you must have been uh, criticized, punished, or, you know, mistreated, or what happened to you during this time? I evolved. I was already a a relatively prominent public figure in medicine. I'm the most published person in my field in history, when the interface between heart and kidney disease. But when I quickly moved into COVID and established, you know, an academic track record there, um, I became a public figure. I set all the records on the Joe Rogan experience. I got Tucker Carlson 
deep into investigating this, uh, you know, over the last two years before he was silenced. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I became even more prominent. I have the top doctor account on Twitter, doctors who see patients right now. So people have gravitated to the truth. They know I've been honest with them. I've cited the literature the entire time. I'm the only one who goes on Fox News or any of the stations, and I cite the papers. The government doctors don't do that, and other doctors that are only promoting the vaccines never cite the data. This is the Judge Janine Show. This is the Janine Bureau Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Bureau. Welcome back to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Show. My guest, Dr. Peter McCullough. All right, so let me ask you this, doctor. I mean, and and to my listeners, when I said in the beginning that the man is an expert, uh, this man, everyone, is at top of his field. And, you know, the amazing part, doctor, is you never back down. But let's talk about the fact that the government was so... Uh, entrenched in promoting a vaccine. What benefit did the government get out of the vaccine? And we haven't even talked about that yet, that in many cases just didn't work. There's a paper by Lalani in the British Medical Journal, which is really illuminating. You know, the United States has been investing in messenger RNA since 1985. Tens of billions of dollars of U.S. investments, largely through BARDA, the research arm of the military and, and uh, of the NIH, and then right. DARPA, the research unit of the military. And in 2012, uh, the, the um, DARPA announced that they were going to use messenger RNA to end pandemics in 60 days. It's still on their website. So DARPA had this, uh, you know, uh, vaccine ideology that the solution to a pandemic was going to be a vaccine. There was a singular mindset. They invested everything in these vaccines well ahead of time. Uh, well ahead of COVID-19. So when the when the virus got out of the lab, everything was ready to go. Moderna announced within a couple days of President Trump's uh, declaration of emergency that they had a vaccine within a couple days. And obviously, they had been working on it for years. There was such an investment. The U.S. co-owns the patent with Moderna. It oh was going to be messenger RNA all the way. The U.S. government was all in on it. And they, they this MNRA... I mean, is what impact does that have on the body? I don't understand it. We keep hearing about it. Messenger RNA is a, a genetic injection. So people who have taken this have taken their first injections of a synthetic messenger RNA. It takes over the body's cells to produce, in this case, the spike protein or the spicule or the spine on top of the virus. The spike protein itself is then expressed by cells and floats into the bloodstream. It circulates in the bloodstream at least a month, in fact, probably several months. The messenger RNA is not broken down easily. Uh, it's been found in lymph nodes now two months after the injections. It may last longer. And so what happens is the body has a relatively severe reaction to it. Now, some people, uh, they take the vaccine and nothing happens. An important paper by Schmeling and colleagues from Denmark shows that a third of people take the shot, nothing happens. Two-thirds of people have a mild reaction. But sadly, 4.2% of people have severe reactions, including heart inflammation, blood clots, strokes, and a whole series of disastrous problems. Okay. And, you know, I remember when I had my show on Saturday nights, I remember asking a physician about the fact that, you know, you're hearing about people dying after taking the vaccine. And and she was like, no, 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 nothing like that is happening. Nothing like that is happening. But, you know, periodically we, we would hear about people who would have adverse effects. And, and, and right now, the 
the vaccine is they're they're not looking to get FDA approval. As long as they have emergency uh, approval, they're happy with that. Is that correct? That's true. None of the current vaccines are licensed in the United States. There's no um, there are no letters of uh, uh, of attempted licensure on file at the FDA. And the emergency is over with. Biden has declared the emergency is over with. So the the extension of the emergency use authorization is violating regulatory law. So why do you think they're still doing it? You'd have to ask the vaccine promoters of doing it. it you know, I published a book called uh, Courage to Face COVID-19. I think there's been, a, a, in a sense, a biopharmaceutical complex or a syndicate that's formed. Interesting. And the governments now are working hand in glove with pharmaceutical companies and NGOs in a very dominant position where they're starting to ignore laws. Uh, they are certainly ignoring uh, conventions on safety. And, uh, and these vaccines are still being railroaded uh, in countries all over the world. Fortunately, the mandates are dropped. And when the mandates drop, People tend to just not take them. What about Omicron? I understand that the Omicron vaccine, uh, it had an unusual effect that you were supposed to take a second because it would make it worse. It's true. After all the first shots, there's an increased risk of COVID. <laughs> and it's because the immune system is, is uh, dysregulated. And the second shot is supposed to set an immunity. But as people take more and more shots, if if we someone's following the current recommended schedule this summer, they're on their seventh shot, I mean, oh my seven gosh. shots. And so what we found is actually it weakens the immune system over time. There's a paper by Shreffa and colleagues from the Cleveland Clinic showing with each additional shot, patients get more and more recurrent COVID. The healthiest people are people who took no shots at all. Interesting. How long, um, if you have immunity, either herd immunity or, or if you've had COVID, how long does that natural immunity last? As far as we can see, there's a paper by Kima Telly and colleagues. They have immunity out to 15 months. It looks like it's lifelong. Natural immunity is looking very good right now. A key paper was published by Chin and colleagues, New England Journal of Medicine, October of 2022. 59,000 prisoners, 17,000 guards and staff. Once somebody had been through the Delta or Omicron infection, they can get COVID again, but there's a zero risk of hospitalization and death. And that's been reassuring. That's the reason why hospitals have been empty for two years. Yeah, that's interesting. And Dr. McCullough, I know that your time is very valuable, but I understand that uh, there's a lot of debate going on out there and that you have offered to debate Dr. Hotez uh, on the vaccine. Um, every time you say something, Dr. McCullough, you say, based on a paper, based on a fact, based on this, based on that. I note that when you talk to people or when we listen to people like Fauci, uh, and some of the other ones, they don't cite papers. They just, they, they just bring in the fear factor and disinformation. That's true. We should demand all the doctors cite their sources. Uh, you know, I went on Joe Rogan and, you know, I kind of, set his records on his show because I just simply, I told the Spotify producers I was going to just show the published data, show my publications. And I'm a bit senior to Hotez, um, but I'd happy to be sit down with him. We'll just have a discussion. We want to focus on vaccine safety. That's not an issue Hotez has discussed at all. And uh, there's about 3,400 papers in the peer-reviewed literature. Joe Rogan's very interested in this. I think Bobby Kennedy's done a great job, but, you know, he's running for president. He doesn't mm-hmm. need to get into doctor debates. 
that can be between me and hotels. And, and Rogan and Kennedy thought that was a fine idea. Yeah, I think it's a fine idea, too. And this guy, Hotez, I mean, he, what gives him the uh, credentials to debate COVID? You know, he is a vaccine developer, and uh, we discovered that uh, he had a National Institutes of Health NIAID grants with him and the Chinese with Fudan mm-hmm. University in 2015 and 2016. And he was working on SARS-CoV-2 antigen-based vaccines as biodefense projects. So Hotez goes back with the Chinese years before COVID-19. And I think one of the reasons why he's afraid to come to the table and actually face any questions is I think his background with the Chinese is going to be uncovered. Interesting. Fauci, Hotez, Tedros, who leads the WHO. Oh, yeah. They are, yeah, they are all with great enthusiasm predicting another pandemic. In fact, Hotez has said COVID is just a warm-up for a much more severe pandemic. And they say it with great zeal and enthusiasm. So I think we should take them seriously. Uh, you know, we don't know if they have something cooked up. They've been doing research with the Chinese for, for years. And I think we should take it seriously. Like the principles of the McCullough Protocol, what we went over with early treatment, it's going to apply to other respiratory viruses. Uh, again, we should look for early treatment, not sit in lockdown and wait for a vaccine. That strategy failed. But I think we should take these public statements seriously. Dr. Peter McCullough, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Uh, you know, you have incredible uh, strength. You have uh, survived what many physicians might not have. So uh, kudos to you. Thank you for joining us, and God bless. This is the Janine Pirro Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Pirro. All right. Joining us now is an individual who has a tremendous amount of experience in the topic of which we are about to speak. Um, he is the uh, former Assistant Secretary of Defense for the um, International Security Policy during the Reagan administration. He is the uh, chairman of the Center for Security Policy and the vice chair of the present danger China, as well as uh, the person who actually hosts Securing America on Real America's Voice uh, on the America Family uh, Radio Network. He is also a good friend of mine, and he's recently written a book called The Indictment, which is kind of interesting uh, because my book is an indictment as well. I think uh, uh, that our next guest and I think alike in terms of crimes and the fact that America is being subjected to tremendous uh, uh, criminal activity by both foreign actors in his book and domestic actors in my book, Crimes Against America. Uh, the person about whom I speak is Frank Gaffney, uh, as I said, former uh, uh, Assistant Secretary of Defense uh, in the Reagan administration. Frank, you know, people will say, first of all, Frank Gaffney, thanks so much for joining us. But, Frank, people will say that, you know, I really don't much care about what happens in China. Uh, it really doesn't affect me. What do you say to those people who turn off right away? Janine, first of all, let me say thank you for having me on. Uh, the answer to your question is, um, you know, as was famously said by, uh, I think it was Trotsky, you may not be interested in war, but war is interested in you. And China is waging war against you, uh, you, your country, your vital interests, your economy, 
And ultimately, I fear um, they are coming for us with the old-fashioned kind of warfare, the shooting war kind. And uh, sadly, and I think this is a point of uh, common interest in both of our books, Janine, they're getting help from Americans in doing all of that to us. So again, another reason why we've got to be both interested in and concerned about what the Chinese Communist Party is up to. It is our mortal enemy, the greatest existential threat to freedom in our history. You know, Frank Gaffney, it it was, I think Americans first paid attention about five months ago when this spy craft uh, flew across the United States and actually hovered over our intercontinental ballistic missile sites. Uh, we knew when it entered uh, through Alaska and the Aleutian Islands, and uh, we simply watched it traverse across the country, and it took information in real time, as we now know. The Biden administration didn't bother to take it down until it had gotten all the information it needed. Um, what is your take on that? Because, you know, no one is giving us a straight scoop on that. Well, the administration is doing worse than that. You're absolutely right. They allowed it to uh, loiter over a number of our most sensitive military installations for over a week and then shot it down after the mission was accomplished. Yeah. Uh, but they're lying about it. Uh, Janine, uh, Joe Biden is now saying that um, poor old Xi Jinping thought it was over Guam or Hawaii <laughs> and didn't know that it was uh, spending a week over our country, even though it was getting a lot of news once it was discovered, not thanks to the government of the United States, by the way, but by some interested citizens, I believe, in Montana right. who happened to observe it. Right. You know, So I don't know whether he takes us for fools or whether he's simply actively doing the bidding of the Chinese Communist Party to deceive us and to keep our guard down. As that threat that I talked about a moment ago continues to grow, but I'm pretty sure based on the fact that as a colleague of mine, Sam Faddis, who you may know, a career central intelligence agency undercover operative who used to uh, recruit and run agents for our country around the world, as he says in the terms of um, the trade, the, the lexicon of intelligence, Joe Biden is a, quote, controlled asset. Of the Chinese Communist Party, unquote. That's what's going on here. Judge Janine Show. This is the Judge Janine Show. The Biden administration didn't bother to take it down until it had gotten all the information it needed. There was an offer of five million to him, and uh, we've got emails saying he was he was so grateful for the extraordinary gift from the head of Burisma, not to mention Russia, China, Uzbekistan, in addition to mm-hmm. Ukraine. But mm-hmm. um, the 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 problem, of course, in addition to that contact, which, of course, Frank Captain, you can talk about. We we're finding out now that there are seven Chinese intelligence arms operating as, quote, service centers, all of which are in direct contact with Beijing. So they've got police departments in the United States. What's that about? Well, this is just. Part of the pattern, Janine, of the growing aggressiveness of the Chinese Communist Party, not only elsewhere, but again here at home. And you say, why should Americans care? Well, they're here. Um, And it's, by the way, not just these so-called service centers of overseas Chinese police. And, And their exact status is a little unclear to me. I think the administration 
has, uh, you know, very belatedly begun rolling them up. But what those service centers do is mobilize and impose discipline upon the, well, 300 plus thousand Chinese students in our country. The untold numbers of businessmen and scientists and researchers and people doing business here on, you know, various other uh, covers, uh, and then the spies, of course. And and now, increasingly, Janine, what we're hearing is perhaps as many as 10,000 People's Liberation Army, probably special forces elements that have been coming across our country about a hundred at a time per day for months now. What, where, how are they you coming ask yourself, through? What could possibly go wrong? Well, they're coming through <laughs> like everybody else is coming through. The southern border. Wandering across the border, the southern border, right. So when you ask, what's, what's at work here? I believe what is at work here is we are being betrayed by our government under Joe Biden, uh, his various cabinet officers, including Tony Blinken, who performed as he was supposed to for the Chinese in Beijing this week, right. and a number of others, and, you know, members of Congress, alas, but also other so-called captured elites, notably on Wall Street, where they have been transferring trillions of dollars of our money from our capital markets, Janine, from our pension funds, from our 401k plans, from our mutual funds, index funds, and the like, to the Chinese Communist Party uh, now, particularly as a result of a deal that Joe Biden helped engineer. Well, I don't know what, if you know about this, but it's, it's just a stunning fact. Well, in what May is the money for? Ex- explain this. Well, it's for whatever they want. It's found money. It's money that nominally is supposed to go into their companies, but it's all in the service of the Chinese Communist Party. So I think it's underwriting their repression at home, you know, the slave labor camps, which our we businessmen see. take advantage of. Uh, it's it's funding their Belt and Road colonial build-out around the world. It's funding, not least, their military build-up, which is threatening us every more by the day. But well, the let's, point talk is, just, just quick, let's talk about that. Let's talk about Just one yeah. thought quickly, very quickly, because it's really important to calibrate. When Joe Biden was vice president of the United States in May of 2013, he helped engineer a memorandum of understanding between the United States and China that allowed the Chinese – to have their companies get access to our capital markets without having to comply with our laws or our regulations. And you know a lot about this business, yes. Janine. Yes. No American company is allowed to do that. Nobody else is allowed to do that. But we gave this sweetheart deal, thanks to Joe Biden, and 3 to $6 trillion have migrated to the Chinese as a result of that memorandum of understanding, it's it's the ultimate scandal. And you ask the right question. Why is he doing it? I don't know. Uh, he's had a history of ideological affinity for communists for quite some time. In fact, a group called the Council for a Livable World helped get him elected to the Senate in the first place. It was a Soviet Communist Party front organization. Well, let's and talk I think about- that's probably operating, but so is obviously cash payments well, to him clearly. and his family. Clearly, when you look at what's going on with Hunter, but let, let's talk about the fact that Blinken went over there, our Secretary of State, and Blinken talks about the U.S. one China policy, 
And yet the president has said, um, you know, he's willing to fight for Taiwan because either he's clueless and in cognitive decline or uh, there's something else going on. Because if he is really as connected to China, why would he come out and say, you know, we are willing to fight for Taiwan? And by the way, there's an article um, in Wall Street Journal News Exclusive from February this year that says the U.S. is expanding troop presence in Taiwan for tra- training against the China threat. What are we doing over there in Taiwan training against the China threat and, say, and saying we're in with the U.S. one China policy? Well, this is a little bit complicated, but let me try to cut to the chase. <laughs> the, the, Tony Blinken recited, as if he had memorized it, this mantra about how we're really committed to the Chinese view that Taiwan is just a province of China, and it will be integrated into China at some point under some circumstances, and we really hope it'll be peaceful. But you're asking the question, well, so how does that jive with, A, his statements he would fight to defend Taiwan, and B, you know, the fact that we've been doing some training of uh, the Taiwanese? The answer to the question is, I think Joe Biden has on four different occasions said we have an obligation to defend Taiwan. Right. Which is not what Tony Blinken said, by the way. So who's running the More to the point, well, no, but here's the point. On each of those occasions, within hours, if not minutes, he was countermanded by unnamed people in the White House who said, no, that's not right. 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 (laughs) So you, you can make of that what you will, but I think the point is the Chinese have been told, don't worry about that. And I think with respect to the training, yes, we've had some special forces guys apparently on the ground there doing something, and I think that's good, but it's the absolute minimum we could be doing. And the Chinese understand we're not doing the rest of what we could and should, and I would argue under the Taiwan Relations Act, have an obligation to do, which is arm the Taiwanese so that we don't make the mistake that Joe Biden did in Ukraine. Well, which is uh, yeah. to fail to deter an attack and then have to throw gigabillions of dollars or whatever at, at trying to compensate. That's All right. crazy, Let's, and it's counterproductive in the extreme. It is crazy. It is counterproductive. It seems that money is you know, at the root of all problems as it relates to the United States and China, especially with the Biden family. But, you know, if if there is this one U.S.-China policy or China, U.S.-China China policy, policy uh, <laughs> yeah. will the U.S. then stand down uh, when they attack Taiwan? And, and I'm making an assumption there. And do you think that that will occur during the Biden administration? Look, I'm speculating about this, but I think this is going on at the moment. I think maybe even on this trip with Tony Blinken in that seven hour, you know, uh, struggle session that he had with the Chinese diplomat. I think it was conveyed to him that they are going to take Taiwan one way or the other before the November 2024 election in the United States. And they're going to make Joe Biden an offer he can't or at least won't refuse. And that is they will, quote, guarantee, unquote, access to the advanced ships that are manufactured almost entirely in Taiwan if we don't intervene to, you know, counter this uh, 
acquisition one way or the other. All right. And so, I, I think that's what's going on. Honestly. So your theory is that you, the, the U.S. will stand down, allow an invasion by China into Taiwan in order to get microchips. I think we will stand down because with Joe Biden at the helm as the commander in chief of the United States military, and remember, a controlled asset of the Chinese Communist Party, I don't think he's going to try to stop a Chinese invasion of Taiwan if we could. And at this point, there's a real question about that. But the point is, whether it's a blockade, whether it's an invasion, whether it's, you know, taking them down through cyber and other means, I I don't know. But all I can tell you is I think that Joe Biden would be delighted to say, hey, this isn't a good thing and we're sorry about it. But the good news is the really important news is we're going to continue to have assured access to those advanced chips. Now, of course, that's not an assured access. Even if the Chinese guarantee it, it's no more reliable than all those other supply chains that we depend upon, among other things, for medicine from China. I mean, this is a formula for our destruction because once we are dependent upon them, to say nothing of all those energy, you know, things that um, the batteries and the the, the lithium, wind all turbines that. and so on, the lithium, and not least, Janine, you've, you've been all over this and God bless yeah. you for being on it. Yeah, the grid. High voltage transformers that are in our electric grid right now. Right. 400 Chinese manufactured, and we know, or we have had reported at least, one or two of them have actually been taken apart out at Sandia Laboratory and found to have back doors that could be used to take them out. So that's kind of a problem, Janine, and yeah. <laughs> a supply chain dependency for uh, advanced chips or anything else from China is, again, a formula for disaster. Well, you know, the truth is that um, the U.S. and China, uh, we are dependent upon them. They are not dependent upon us. Blinken comes back and he says, well, we have no military agreement yet, but we've made it clear. They understand because we've made it clear. It's like KJP. We've made it clear. We've been clear. I don't know what what, what the focus on that word is, um, you know, that we're going to have this military Agreement. But, you know, if you, if history is any indicator, you know, Joe Biden sat on the sidelines as Russia lined up to invade Ukraine, and that whole mess could have been over had we sent over the military, uh, uh, you know, the requested military uh, uh, tanks, etc., in the beginning as opposed to waiting. Uh, and that, unfortunately, uh, may be their, their modus operandi if, if China does invade Taiwan. But I think ultimately it does come down to chips, to lithium batteries. And, um, in the end, you know, China is a country that is focused on being number one militarily, economically, and, uh, you know, what they did. Uh, with the with the Wuhan virus, um, they never paid a price for all of the deaths around the world. They, I think, they know that they can get away with whatever they want. Janine, this is the point of our indictment. The first of the nine charges, eight of them deal with their war crimes against us, this transnational criminal organization that is the Chinese Communist Party. But the first and overarching one is their crimes against humanity. They've killed, by some estimates, 100 million of their own people 
Yeah. In addition to some they've enslaved, like the Tibetans and the Uyghurs and so on, but mostly it's their own Han Chinese. And and that doesn't count the 400 million, some say maybe 500 million, mostly baby girls that they've killed in the womb. There's never been a more monstrous regime in world history. You could put all of the other tyrants and you know mass murderers combined over the course of human history, and they're pikers compared to the Chinese Communist Party. Why is that important? It's important not only to calibrate on the truly incalculably horrific nature of that party, but also if they treat their own people that badly, Janine, can they possibly be expected to treat ours better? Yeah. I think not. All right. Frank Gaffney, I want to thank you for joining us on the uh, Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Folks, the book is called The Indictment, Prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and Friends for Crimes Against America, China, and the World. My guest, of course, uh, Frank Gaffney, uh, who is uh, who is a dear friend and knows of what he speaks. Frank Gaffney, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. Uh, take care. God save the queen, man. If you're still not convinced the man is in cognitive decline, that the man is clueless, that he's a puppet, and that someone else is running the White House, that someone else, of course, being the person who runs out immediately after Joe speaks and cleans up whatever he says, then you didn't hear him last Friday say, in Connecticut, in the United States, after a speech that had nothing to do with he ends his speech and he says, God save the queen. Man, <laughs> he had it banned there. Okay? God save the queen. The queen is dead. You went to her funeral. Don't you remember? And what the hell does that have to do with Connecticut? I don't know. Uh, you know, this is how it goes. Quote, I've been doing this a long time. I know I don't look that old, you know. I'm a little under 103, but all kidding aside, nobody's laughing, Joe, by the way. I know people here who've been impacted by gun violence. A lot of you are tired, I know. Try being 110 and do it again. All right, God save the queen, man. Hey, you want to vote for this guy for another four years? You're as clueless as he is. So I can't believe we're out of time. Make sure you join us right back here next week. Same time, same place for the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Have a great day, everybody. Take care. University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.